Hello, church family. Our scripture passage for this week is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And I'm excited for us to, to dive into it together. Um, a couple years ago, I was teaching our, our middle school students. This is actually more than a couple years ago. And I love middle schoolers. Uh, some of you might have middle schoolers, might be a middle schooler. And whenever I'm teaching students, and especially that age, you're always looking for ways to kind of engage them, bring them in to what you're talking about. So I came up with this kind of game slash illustration where I had two volunteers come up to, to the front of the stage, and, and they had a goal, and the goal was one had a can of of Coke and the other had a cup and, and the way the game worked was if one person could pour the contents of that can into the cup without spilling a drop they both won uh, to a can of soda that you know they could pick out and so they were middle schoolers they were excited to get some free soda this is going to be simple and so kind of I threw a twist into it before I handed the one person the can of soda I shook it up for about 30 seconds as hard as I could and then handed it to him and say okay now the rules are every single drop has to go into that cup. And in that moment, what I was expecting to happen was that the student would be like, I can't do that, and hand it back to me. But the problem is, never expect middle schoolers to do what would be logical or expected in that moment. And so I gave it to the one person, and he looked at me, and he looked at the can, and he slammed the can down on the ground as hard as he could, and it was just a Coke fountain, just all over the place. Again, this is the middle of the Wednesday night, in launch, in a service. I've lost all attention. I don't know how I'm going to get back into the gospel message. I'm just trying to keep everything from, from getting soaked with soda. And, and the reason why I share, share that story is when that student threw the can down on the ground and the Coke exploded out of it, he didn't make the Coke appear in the can when he threw it on the ground. It was the pressure of me shaking up and the pressure of it hitting the ground that brought out what was already in the can. And pressure reveals what is going on inside of us. And we know that to be true. Even growing up, my dad would always uh, talk about, you know, when an orange is squeezed, what do you expect to come out? Orange juice. When, when something is put under pressure, it reveals what is on the inside. And this past year in 2020, and as we go into 2021, we've been under a lot of pressure. There, there's been a lot that's been shaking our lives around. And in moments of pressure, what's on the inside begins to come out. 
and we've noticed and we've watched ourselves and we've watched those around us who, it's been a hard year. And if you look at statistics, you see things like suicide rates being up and depression, anxiety, and substance abuse being up and pornography being up and all these different things where we've been put under pressure in the middle of being put under pressure, guess what often happens? The enemy likes to bring temptation into those moments. He knows that when we're under pressure, we are our most vulnerable. And so in this passage that, that we're wrestling through and we're walking through tonight, we see that not only do we go under pressure, not only does the enemy attack us under pressure, but we see this happen in the life of Jesus and his ministry. In chapter 3 last week, we saw kind of this mountaintop experience. Jesus is, is baptized by John the Baptist, and the heavens open, and God the Father audibly speaks over the Son, and the Spirit descends down. Just this incredible moment inaugurating Jesus' ministry. But then we see in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Then, which is looking back to what just happened, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. So from this mountaintop moment comes this place of pressure. And it's in that place of pressure that the enemy comes and meets Jesus there. 40 days without food in the wilderness. The Gospel of Mark says, and he was with the wild beasts. I don't know what kind of wild beasts, but it doesn't sound good, right? 40 days, 40 nights, no food with the beast. This is where Jesus is. And not only that, he has the presence of the enemy. Throughout the story of the Bible, the enemy desires to distract, disarm, discourage, and destroy God's people. And in this passage that we just heard read, the enemy has set his sights on the Son of God. That before Jesus can preach his first sermon, before he can call his first disciple, before he performs his first miracle, the enemy has come to try to bring him down. The enemy comes in our life, your life, my life, to try to bring us down. So this passage is so important to understanding the life and ministry of Jesus, but it's also important for us, people who experience temptation on a daily basis. Which leads us to our big truth uh, today, which is this. Jesus is the tempted Savior. Jesus is is the tempted Savior. He's not just a king or Savior who sat on a throne far removed from the difficulty of this life. We're going to see as we go through the Gospel of Mark, or Matthew, and, and we already have, that, that Jesus and his family went through suffering. They went through hardship. They went through uncertainty. They went through difficulty. People are going to walk away from Jesus. People are going to stab Jesus in the back. But Jesus not only experienced all of those things that we experienced on some level, but this passage shows us that Jesus was also tempted, just like we are. He is the tempted Savior. This is critical for us to see. He enters not only into our hardship and our discouragement, He not only enters into pain and suffering, but He enters into temptation before us so that we might know how to respond to temptation so that we might have hope when we face temptation. So the question for us tonight is why was Jesus tempted? How 
was Jesus tempted? How did he respond to temptation? How does that teach us to respond to temptation? If he is the tempted Savior, why does that matter? Why is this passage in your Bible? Why is this passage in my Bible? Why is it here? And so I want to do tonight as we walk through this text is just try to answer some of these questions through big ideas. The first question being this, why was Jesus tempted? Why was Jesus tempted? See, often when we read this passage of Scripture, if you've read it before, we often kind of go first to how was he tempted and how did he respond. And we look because we want to know how we should respond and how we should face those temptations. And we want to get there. But, but before we get to the hows and to the whats, we need to answer the question why. Why was it necessary that Jesus was tempted? Why did he have to face this from the enemy? Why is this in our Scripture? And so just want us to kind of walk through the passage together. Chapter 4, verse 1 begins this way. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So our first big idea, why was Jesus tempted, is this. Jesus' temptation was a part of God's perfect plan. Jesus' temptation was a part of God's perfect plan. Don't, Don't miss this. It would be really easy to just read this passage and think, oh, Jesus was out doing ministry, or Jesus was out praying in the wilderness, or he was choosing the fast, and the devil intercepted him. The Satan came after him there. While that's true, we have to understand the context, and the context is this, is that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. That's important. If you circle or underline your Bible, led Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. So it is God's will that Jesus would enter into temptation. Which poses some difficulty for us. If God is love and God cares about his son, why would he lead his son into a place where he's going to be tempted? For us as Jesus followers, if God loves you and God loves me, why would he lead us into a place of temptation? Does that make him the tempter? Does that make him a bad God? No, that's, that's not the story. The same spirit and the same words that are used here led to Jesus being born. We read that in chapters 1 and 2. The same spirit shows up in chapter 3 and descends on him like a dove. Now the spirit is leading him. So God has a purpose and a plan for Jesus to be tempted. And the word tempted here in in the Greek, it has two meanings. One meaning is to test. And throughout Scripture, we see that God tests his people. From the Old Testament into the New Testament, he allows us to go through testing. Why? To refine us, shape us, help us trust him. But temptation, it also means to be tempted to sin. And that's what the devil is attempting to make Jesus do. He wants Jesus to not trust the Father. He wants Jesus to falter in his pursuit and in his obedience. God does not tempt anyone to sin. That's really important to hear and to know. But he does allow his children to walk through trial and walk through difficulty. Well, how do we know that? James one gives us the answer. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So while God is not the one who's tempting Jesus, he's leading Jesus into this point and in 
to this place. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. But, but we do this too for any parent. And again, I've gotten to work in student ministry for many years, so I've seen many students graduate. And for any parent who sent their child off to college, they know when they're sending their son or daughter off to university that they're going to face temptation. Now, they're not tempting them. They're not sending them there so they will be tempted. They know that when they send their son or daughter away, they're going to face temptation. But their prayer and their hope is that they will be able to resist, that they'll be able to grow, that they will be able to follow Jesus in that moment. And this is what God is doing. God is sending Jesus to be tested so that he might be found faithful. So just a point of application for you and for me this evening that I think that's really important is what trial, what test is God leading you into these days? Maybe some of the difficulty, maybe some of the hardship, maybe some of the uncertainty that God's brought into your life and my life is to help refine us, is to help us trust him, is to help us turn from sin and look to Jesus. That nothing happens outside of God pur- God's purposes. Nothing happens outside of his economy. And that's a good thing. And so one of the best things that we can do in moments of difficulty, in moments of trial, in moments of testing, is to ask this question and pray this prayer. God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to show me through this hardship, through this sickness, through my job loss, through my wayward child, son or daughter? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to form in me? Help me to receive it. Help me to be faithful in it. And so we see that Jesus' temptation was was a part of God's perfect plan. Second big idea, Jesus' temptation was a spiritual assault by God's ancient enemy. Look again at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by who? The devil. It's not random, it's not just spiritual attack, it is Satan himself has come to attack the Son of God. And we know from reading Scripture from Genesis 3 on that all the things that are happening in the story of Scripture are ultimately a spiritual battle. That we do have an enemy, and that enemy is working for your evil and my evil and your destruction and my destruction. He wants to rob God of his glory, and he wants in this moment to come and wreck the Son of God. To turn Jesus' focus away from the cross. And friends, just a point of application for us tonight is we need to remember, because I think we often forget, or at least I often forget, is that if you're here and you're a Jesus follower, we're in a spiritual battle. That spiritual warfare is real. That our our battle, as the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6.12 would say, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against, in our context, struggles in our nation or even COVID-19. But against the rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, we need to remember that we are in a spiritual battle. And if we're going to fight in a spiritual battle, we need spiritual armor. We need spiritual eyes. We need spiritual sight because we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your joy in Christ. And in this moment, Jesus is face to face with this cosmic conflict. Friends, you and I are in that battle. The enemy wants us to doubt God's goodness. 
The enemy wants us to doubt God's faithfulness. The enemy wants us to run to other things, to fill the desires of our flesh instead of running to God and hoping and trusting in him. And this is the temptation. This is the battle that Jesus is facing. It's spiritual assault. So if you're walking through temptation, if you're walking through hardship, if you're walking through difficulty tonight, pray and open your eyes to see that you are in a spiritual battle and you need spiritual help. So why was Jesus tempted? He was tempted because it was part of God's plan, because there's an enemy. But third, and this is so important for us to be able to understand this passage, Jesus' temptation solidified his standing as the perfect substitute for sinners. Why is Jesus being tempted? Why is he entering into this hardship? Because his temptation makes him adequate and necessary and capable to be your substitute and my substitute, to be your sin bearer and be my sin bearer. He's entering into this story so he might be one of us. So he might walk where you walk. He might walk where I walk. He might struggle or face the struggle that you and I face in our lives. So in this passage, we see Jesus' humanity. That Jesus wasn't this just impervious deity on the planet, that he's human. It says in verse 2 that he was hungry. He was hungry. We see in verse 11 that the angels come and minister to him. He was weary. And so for him to be a substitute for your sin, for him to be your Savior, my Savior, he must become like one of us. But not only was he weary, not only was he hungry, but he was tempted and tried, just like we are tempted and tried. He faced the same temptations that you and I face right now so that he might be a substitute for us. But not only do we see his humanity, we see his deity, that he is led by the Spirit and obediently following the Spirit. We're going to see that Satan calls him the Son of God twice in this passage, recognizing that he's not just some ordinary man facing temptation, but he is the Son of God himself. But another thing that's so important for us to understand this passage is that when Jesus enters in this temptation, he enters as a representation of the people of Israel. So as we read through the Old Testament last year, one of the things that we saw in the book of Deuteronomy and other passages is that God calls Israel his people. He calls them his son. And So the children of Israel, when they were set free from Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, just like Jesus went through baptism. There's a, there's a mirror that's happening here. And through that victory of the Red Sea, they then go into the wilderness. Guess for how long? Forty years. How long is Jesus in the desert? Forty days. And so as God's people were in the wilderness wanderings, and they failed when they faced temptation, they failed when they faced testing. Jesus now, the perfect son, is coming out of his baptism. He's going out into the wilderness to wander and wait just like the children of God did. And now he is facing the same temptation. Why? So that he might be the perfect son in your place and in my place. So it's necessary that Jesus would enter in so that he could become the savior for you and me. He is the true and better son facing the temptation in the wilderness on your behalf and on my better half. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in who every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he must enter into this temptation in order to be a substitute for you 
and for me. Hebrews 2 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? To make propitiation or right payment for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Praise God. So when you and I, here's the application, face temptation, we face it knowing that Jesus faced it before us. We face it knowing that Jesus passed the test where we are going to be struggling to pass. And we can set our hope and our eyes and our hearts on him. So this is why it's so important that Jesus entered into temptation. So let's talk about how Jesus was tempted. So we've looked at the first couple verses. Let's walk through the rest of this passage together. Let's look at the temptations of Jesus. So before we wrestle through the house and kind of get into that, let's just try to define a little bit what temptation looks like. So what is temptation? Let me give you a definition. Temptation is a subtle lie couched within a desirable opportunity that intends to create distrust towards God and find satisfaction in the pursuit of sin. And I'll just pause here and say that all the notes are online. You can go back and grab those later in case you miss something as we walk through this. Temptation's a subtle lie couched within a desirable opportunity. What does it mean to do? It intends to create distrust in our hearts toward God so that we would find satisfaction in the pursuit of sin. How did I get that definition? James 1, 14 through 16. But each person is tempted when he is lured away, that's the lie, enticed by his own desire, a desirable opportunity. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So temptation is a lie. And ultimately, it's a lie that's aimed at creating distrust in your heart and my heart toward God. And this is the way the enemy works. This is the way he worked in the garden. If you remember back with Adam and Eve, did God really say... Did God really say, does, does he really have your best interest out for you? God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because when you do, you're going to be like him. What's he doing? He's causing Adam and Eve to doubt his character. He's creating distrust in their heart. And friends, when you and I are tempted to sin, this is what sin does. Sin creates distrust in our heart. It deceives our heart, deceives our mind to believing that God doesn't have our best interest in mind. And he shifts our gaze to something that we would want other than God. Something in sin. Something to satisfy that deep need in us. So it's distrust and satisfaction. And that is the way that Satan is coming at Jesus in this passage. So that leads us to a third question. What temptations did Jesus actually face? What's happening in this passage? And he faces three. And let's just walk through them together and give some application for your life and for my life. Temptation number one to doubt God's provision, to doubt God's provision. If you have your Bible, look at verse 3. And the tempter came to him, Jesus, and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So you can imagine they're sitting in the desert, they're, they're in the wilderness, and there's all these stones around. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days, and Satan comes to him and says, Jesus, if, if you really are the Son of God, you're hungry, why don't you just prove it? Turn these stones into bread. What's the temptation there? Is it, is it wrong for Jesus to eat bread? Well, no. 
Is it wrong for Jesus to perform a miracle? He's going to feed the 5,000 later on. He's going to multiply fish and loaves. So what's the big deal? Why, why is it wrong for Jesus in this moment to turn stones into bread? Because in this moment, God is the one who's brought him into the wilderness. God is the one who's led him here. And God has not provided for Jesus yet. And so if Jesus turns those stones into bread, he is misusing his power for his own gain. He's using his power to benefit himself, to fulfill this fleshly need, this desire he has, instead of depending on God to provide for his needs. So the temptation is to doubt God's provision. This is the temptation to feel. And you and I know this temptation well. This is a temptation to pursue satisfaction through self-gratification instead of God-centered dependence. God, I want this. I need this. I just want to feel this way. And so I'm going to go my way to get it so I might feel good. So I might feel better. So the pain might go away. This is a temptation to pursue comfort, to eat, to numb, to distract. We, we see it in all kinds of forms. It's a desire to, to have what we want and what the flesh desires instead of trusting God. Abusing food in order to get comfort. Pornography in the pursuit of sexual satisfaction. Distracting our hearts through busyness and entertainment because we want to avoid. Making our kids or our career an idol so we can validate ourselves on the inside. It's the temptation to feel. To look at what God has given us and say, it's not enough. I shouldn't be married to this person. Your way is not the best way. This job you've given me is not the best job. I need something else to make my heart happy. And so instead of trusting God, depending on Him, looking to Him, we pursue something else other than God. So just as a point of application, where are you tempted to meet your own needs instead of walking in dependence upon God? Where are you choosing self-gratification in your life instead of dependence? This is a sin that, and a temptation that comes so close to us and has so many tentacles that reach into so many different areas of our lives. Are we depending on God? Or are we making what we want happen? What makes us feel good? Look at how Jesus responds. What does he do? Verse 4. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. But why? Or how? But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's Jesus saying? We need more than bread. We need God's word. Bread isn't bad, but bread isn't enough. We live by the word of God. We trust in God. We hope in God. We depend on God. And we wait for him to supply our needs. Trusting in him. So just another point of application. It's, it's so important. He says in verse 4, But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friend, do you and I know this word? Do we believe that? Does the word of God, is it our authority? Does it shape the way we live? Does it shape our decisions? Do we know every word? Are we studying 
the word. The only way that we're going to be able to face temptation like Jesus did is to know and believe this, that God's word is enough to help us follow God. We don't have to go another direction. Temptation one, doubt God's provision. Let's look at temptation number two. Second temptation Jesus faces, to question God's character. To question God's character. So first, doubt God's provision. Second, question God's character. Look with me again, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, so second time he's questioning his identity, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now Satan quotes scripture, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So he takes him to the edge of the temple, which is a very high place, looking down this massive ravine and saying, hey, if you'll just throw yourself off, it will prove to me that you are the Son of God, because God's Word says he's going to take care of you. What's this temptation? It's a temptation to question God's character. It's the temptation to test God instead of trust God. See, in this moment, Jesus could have done that, and maybe it would have happened, but it would have been putting God to a test, testing God's character. Are you going to actually come through? Are you actually going to do this? Instead of just trusting him and walking in obedience to his command. It's a temptation to test. It's the children of Israel in the desert testing God, grumbling and complaining. Why did you bring us out here, God? Why did you bring us out here? To die in the wilderness? It would have been better for us to die in Egypt. It's putting God to the test. It's calling his character into question. Your purposes don't seem to line up. Why don't you step in? Why don't you prove yourself? Friends, we face that same temptation. We face that same temptation. God, I I don't know if I can trust you unless you answer this prayer. God, I need you to prove to me that you can heal this person. I need you to prove to me that you can save this person. I need you to prove to me that you can come through. I've been waiting long and I've not seen your provision. I've not seen your protection. I've not seen your healing. You've said that you would take care of me, but I don't see it. In that moment, we are tempted along with the temptation that Jesus is facing to test God, to question his character, looking for him to come through to validate instead of choosing to trust him. How does Jesus respond? We can look at his answer. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put your, the Lord your God to the test. So what's Satan doing? He's twisting God's word. He's misquoting Psalms in order to try to get Jesus to step into this trap, but Jesus doesn't do it. Why? Because he knows the word of God. You shall not put your God to the test. So I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust the Father. Friends, what's an area in your life right now you're tempted to test the Lord? To question his goodness, to question his character, to question his faithfulness. It's an opportunity to trust As Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to trust instead of question. Another point of application here that's so important is we see that the enemy is twisting God's word and calling Jesus to disobedience. 
Friends, can I just be really honest with you? In the culture we live in now, even here in the Bible Belt, one of the greatest temptations that you and I face is to turn and twist God's word to justify our disobedience. God wants me to be happy, so I'm going to do this. Well, God's word doesn't say to do that. Well, God wants me to be happy. God says to love, so I'm going to accept this person and what they say and what they feel is loving instead of call them to what is loving. I'm just going to love them. I'm not going to share the gospel with them. We take scripture and we twist it to justify our disobedience. Be warned. That's one of the common ways temptation happens. That's one of the common ways that false teaching happens. Someone takes God's word out of context, twists it, and justifies what they're doing and calls you and me in to join them. But in this moment, Jesus is not tempted. He's not twisted by the temptation. He doesn't buy into it. He quotes scripture back. Friends, this is important. Satan knows scripture very, very well. Do you and I know scripture as well as our enemy does? Do we know scripture well enough to be able to see the lie, to spot the deception and speak the truth back into it? Are we just leaning into our own understanding? Are we following the Lord? Which leads to a third temptation. Reject God's plan. The third temptation is to reject God's plan. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Why would Jesus be tempted to do this? Here's here's what Satan's saying. I'm giving you another way to bring the nations into right worship of you without you having to go to the cross. Here's a path for you to pursue God's purpose for you being on earth without having to live out his plan. If you'll just reject God's plan, if you will worship me instead, I will give you what you came here to do. That all the people, everyone, their knee will bow, their tongue will confess, they'll worship you. All you have to do is worship me. And so in this moment, Jesus is facing the temptation, do I follow God's will, which will lead me to the cross, which will lead the Father turning his back and separating himself from me? Or do I choose idolatry and worship the enemy? See, friends, for us, this temptation is real for us. A lot of us, we want to fulfill God's purpose for our life without having to follow his plan. We would like to see the fruit of following Jesus without having to go through the sacrifice and cost of following Jesus. There is no middle way. To love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, to, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him means to submit your life to the will of the Father. And in this moment of temptation, this is how Jesus responds. Verse 10, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And Jesus says, Satan, I am following the Father's will, and I don't want you to miss this. I am going to the cross. I'm pressing forward to go lay my life down. I will achieve the Father's purpose, but I will do it according to his plan. 
brothers and sisters, friends, is there any area of your life right now where you're struggling to submit to God's will for your life? You're, you're walking through a hard situation, you're walking through difficult decisions, and you want to have God's purpose fulfilled in your life, but you really don't want to do it according to that plan, that will that's there. That's a temptation that you and I are going to face. Many of us are facing. It's an opportunity for us to say, again, not my will, but yours be done. Father, I submit my life. I give you my kids. I give you my health. I give you my home. I give you my finances. I give you my all, whatever the cost, whatever it means, because you're worth it. The temptation to reject God's plan. Jesus passed the test. Verse 11, then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So three tests, three temptations that Jesus faced, that you and I face. So in conclusion, how, how did Jesus fight temptation? How do we fight temptation? Let me just give you three answers very quickly as we come to a close. First one is this. Jesus fought temptation by praying, fasting, and preparing his heart and mind for spiritual battle. This one's so important. Look back at verse 2. What was Jesus doing for 40 days in the wilderness? Fasting, and in this terminology, as we'll see later in Matthew 6, fasting always comes with prayer. For 40 days, Jesus was getting ready for this battle. Friends, why do some of us, why do we so often fall to temptation? Because we forget we're in a battle. Because we've not been preparing our heart. We've not been preparing our mind. This is why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, a lot of times we get knocked sideways by the enemy, and it's because we're not prepared. So how do we respond? How do we fight temptation? We wake up every day expecting temptation to come to our door. And we pray and we fast and we long that God would help guard our hearts, protect us from the evil one, protect us from temptation. Second thing we see, how did Jesus fight temptation? Second big idea, Jesus fought temptation by knowing, believing, and stating God's word. Knowing, believing, stating God's word. Psalm 119, 9 and 11 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I've stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. How do we fight temptation? We know. We believe. We study. And we state. We proclaim. We speak the word and the truth of God over our minds and through our prayers and our situation. Because we are in a spiritual battle. Last thing. How do we fight temptation? Jesus fought temptation by trusting worshiping, and serving God alone. Verse 10. Be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. How do we fight temptation? We set our gaze off of ourselves, and we set it on God's Son. See, the bad news about temptation is that on our own, in our own flesh, you and I cannot fight temptation. We are like our father Adam. And remember Adam, he was in the perfect garden, perfect situation. God's presence had everything he needed and he still sinned against God. 
But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the true and better Adam. Who didn't fight temptation in the garden, he fought it in the wilderness. Facing Satan's lies. And he passed the test. He is the tempted savior. He's come to save you and save me. To stand in your place and stand in my place. And so how do we fight temptation? Not in our strength, but Christ in us. Looking to him, trusting in him. Believing in him. I just want to invite you to pray with me. This is an opportunity for us to respond. The team's going to come and, and lead us. But as we close, again, I just want to invite you to bow your heads and just ask this question. God, what are you trying to teach me in the trials that I'm facing today? What are you trying to show me the temptations that I'm facing today. Maybe one of those temptations, doubting God's provision, questioning his character, rejecting his plan, maybe you've been believing those lies about something in your life. Tonight, it's an opportunity to repent, to ask God to forgive you, to turn from your sin, to turn from God. Maybe you're not a child of God and you've been trying to face temptation on your own and there's no way, friend, that you're going to be able to fight it apart from God. Trust in Jesus. Worship Jesus. Let him be the one that you set your heart on. God, please help us. We are a people who are tempted and tried. We are a people who have failed. And even me just preaching this this evening, I, I just recognize that I'm so inadequate to bring this word because I am tempted and I've fallen so many times. Failed so many times. God, forgive me. Forgive us when we don't trust you. Forgive us when we don't hope in you. Forgive us when we're not prepared because we've been so self-absorbed. We've not even prepared for spiritual battle. Forgive us. God, we thank you that you've made a way to save us, that you've sent your son to be not just our savior, but the savior who was tempted and tried so that he could be a perfect substitute, a perfect, true and better Adam to come and rescue us. Help us to cling to him. Help us to trust him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.